So we're going to do a podcast. So a podcast? What's a podcast? <laughs> Are you joking? My name is Tommy Banks, and I'm a chef. Actually, he's a Michelin-starred chef. And that's my dad. He's also called Tom, but everyone calls him TB. And then there's my mum. Ah, hello there. How are you doing? And my brother, James, and about 100 other people who I work with up here in Yorkshire. Together, we run a restaurant called The Black Swan in a little place called Oldstead. And yeah, we have a Michelin star, but that's a team effort, as you're going to find out. Right, Dan, we're going to go four halibut into two pork, if that's all right, mate. But The Black Swan isn't just a restaurant. It's also a farm. The farm where I grew up, and it's where almost all of the food that we serve is grown. From the fruit and the vegetables, to the meat, the herbs, and everything in between. We grow it all right here in Oldstead. It's not actually as sour as you think it would be. It's quite, That's not the it's got a bit of sweetness to it. Over the next 12 months, I'm inviting you to join me as we travel through the seasons. From the depths of winter, through the spring, summer and autumn, and let you in on some of the secrets of the farm and the restaurant too. Not too many secrets, I hope. I'll introduce you to my family and my incredible team who work around the clock to create a menu like nothing you've tasted before. Let's start working for beetroot, please. We have so many people come and eat in the restaurant every week, but it'd be great to be able to showcase everything from right from the farm right through to the restaurant and onto plate and that, and that journey and everything that happens behind the scenes. Service, please. People only sit at the table and that's what they see and there's so much more to it, isn't there? I'll be giving you some tips of things you can cook at home, inspired by the seasonal menu here at the Black Swan. Probably the best thing to do is just to peel them, slice them down and sweat them off in a bit of butter and add some milk and you can make a beautiful soup. And I'll be inviting some very special guests to come and lend a hand, helping us to harvest the crops, look after the animals and even create some unique flavour combinations all of their own. The, uh, the cows are poking their heads through. Oh, well, we're getting among it now, aren't we? Oh, wow. You're talking about bringing people on the farm. What sort of people are you talking about? Celebrities. I'm just not sure if you, you know any celebrities. Come on, sunshine, this way. We want you in there. Yeah, big, big, big. Do you understand where we want you? Yeah, that way. Come on. You got a bit overexcited, aren't you? Probably need to get a few more sizes of wellies for visitors. <laughs> yeah, that's true, yeah. This year is set to be the busiest we've ever had. It's the first time we've bred our own cattle, we're opening a new gastro pub just a few fields away, and we're elevating the menu to an even higher level, whilst still trying to remain down to earth. At least some of us are. Oh, dog out, please. Dog out. We're recording it here. So why don't you join us? This is Seasoned, episode one. Before we begin, I want to say a thank you to our sponsors. This podcast is only possible because of True Foods. True Foods are an incredible family business who make the best stocks and sauces. True Foods provides stocks to some of the best kitchens in the UK. One, two and three Michelin-style restaurants use their stocks as the base for their recipes. And now, their stocks and sauces are available for you to buy at home too. I'll tell you more about them later in the episode, but you can check out their product range and find lots more information in our show notes. 
It's winter here in Oldstead. And it's my favourite time of the day. Early morning. When it's quietest. Come on, let me show you around. This time of year, it's really wet underfoot. Unfortunately, we've had a lot of rain. Nestled in this corner of the North Yorkshire Moors, this farm is where I call home. We've got 160 acres which surround the Black Swan. Um, so we've got all the, the Dexters in here which are enjoying the hay this morning. The newest addition to the farm are our Dexter cattle. We've got 26 of them which will breed this year and all of them are kept on a 100% grass-fed diet. Really nice traditional breed. They're really small cattle actually. They're, uh, I mean, some of them look hilarious. We've got like a little uh, nine-year-old over there who she's, she's barely taller than your waist height. Yeah, they're all having a good portion of breakfast. This is a proper working farm. My dad has grown up with animals, working the land as my grandfather Fred did before him. We've got three breeds of pigs, which are currently housed just across the yard. Hello, guys. Uh, uh, these are Mangalitsas, these guys. Um, so they're actually a Hungarian uh, breed, which is probably, apparently has a bit of wild boar in it as well. And you can kind of see that. They're really hairy and wiry, uh, big floppy ears. Then we've got over 100 Herdwick sheep out in the field. Our own hens supplying fresh eggs every day and no farm would be complete without a farm dog roaming around. So meet my pride and joy, socks. If you're imagining a typical working farm in rolling countryside, then I guess that's what we have right here. And it's not just animals, there's row after row of fruit and vegetables too. So this time of year you're starting to run out of ingredients, but the brassicas are still going really well. We've got these tunnels of kale. We'll grow anything from turnips to tomatoes, potatoes and carrots, when they're in season, of course. In January, like kale's a great one. Jerusalem artichokes, we use an awful lot of. They're very easy to grow. Um, Crown Prince squashes, with uh, the squash that we've preserved. Other than that, you're on a lot of your preserved ingredients. So a lot of sour things, a lot of pickled things. Uh, but there's a lot of flavour in that. At the top of the hill is the fruit, berries, cherries, apples and pears. Then we have the rows of herbs, flowers and seasonal vegetables. This time of year, you can still see like, a few bits of brassicas and herbs that are still clinging on, but um, most things have died back. And then we've got some polytons. So that one's always full of tomatoes in the summer. And that one's just exclusively lemon verbena because that's my favourite herb. So it's nice. So in summertime, the chefs can just pick the herbs just before service. There's even a couple of beehives where we source our own honey. And no plot of land is wasted. Drive past and you'll see me or one of the chefs foraging in the woodland or by the roadside. There's flavour everywhere you look. But yeah, this is really the epicentre of all of the things that we do. Um, all of the ideas, I think, because of the ingredients that we have and, and obviously the animals. But the whole sort of ethos of the business is, is based around, around here. And all roads lead here. My restaurant, The Black Swan. Good evening, everyone. 
Uh, 30 covers in this evening, we've got two pescatarians over two different tables. A slight change to the pescatarian menu. We're going to be using monkfish rather than sea trout this evening. Every evening, we welcome around 30 guests to the Black Swan. They enjoy a tasting menu with around 14 specifically designed seasonal creations. Right now, we have some beautiful wild mallard, great sourdough, and even a dessert made from locally foraged mushrooms. Lots of very, very happy guests in last night. So we had the AA inspection, and very good feedback off of the back of that. Eight chefs build and serve each plate using dozens of homegrown and preserved ingredients. And with the help of our sommelier and the front of house staff, they create an experience which I hope is memorable for all the right reasons. It's all about attention to detail because everything about dinner at the Black Swan needs to be faultless. Something else I noticed last night, table three cutlery was missed for their pork dish. It was only missed once, uh, but once at this level is too many. So uh, let's just really tighten up on that, please. Dinner at the Black Swan is special. People choose to come here for a once-in-a-lifetime meal, and it's up to all of us to deliver. Moving through to celebrations as well. They're going to be on table four. It's the uh, his daughter's 18th birthday uh, this evening, so if we can really try and look after them, please, that'd be absolutely fantastic. But how do we do that? How do we create these special dishes? That's what this podcast is all about. I've never revealed exactly what goes on here at the Black Swan, and it's time to change that. Let's just have a, a great service, everyone, yeah? Yeah, we One of the secrets we have is Dickie. He heads up our team of chefs based on the farm itself. You'll find him out foraging in the fields, or more likely hunkered down in a small on-farm kitchen. It's his job to process all the produce from the farm and turn it into things which the restaurant chefs can use. Dickie is making oils and vinegars. He's pickling, preserving, fermenting and freezing. On the journey from field to fork, most of the ingredients come via Dickie to the kitchen. It's very different to the sort of formality of the restaurant because obviously the guys in the Mission Star restaurant you've got a very like intense focus you've got to be ready for that service you've got to you know exactly what you're doing each day you've got your section you've got your prep list from a day before ready to go but like here we start off with a list and we never finish said list because every day something comes up there's a new product you're driving around you think oh that, that's ready to forage now and we just start doing that and it just evolves and all of a sudden you go from you know March to September and you're like where did that disappear to it's in, it's incredible so. or you get roped into doing something like moving cheap for example the other day <laughs> <laughs> can somebody act as a fence please <laughs> it's a very different sort of uh, style of work to work in a restaurant but but we do crack on and, and the output's pretty impressive from this uh, <laughs> very small environment you're actually under the same sort of scrutiny that the restaurants are under because you're taking ingredients to the chefs in a mission star kitchen and if they're not absolutely perfect, they send them straight back to you. Yeah. Uh, in this, and that's exactly the same sort of process as you would find in, in a top kitchen as well. So 100%. you're under the same level of scrutiny for your work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the things that we, products that we produce now are, yes, worked into dishes, but actually end up on the plate as that product, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's not just a, you know, like that, for example, is going to literally be 
piped onto a plate and served, so it's got to be absolutely perfect. I don't often take a step back and think about it, but creating unique ingredients which then go into a kitchen is a world away from your typical restaurant. What the guys down here do is totally unique. There isn't really anybody else doing this. And um, it, there's, there's so much value in the products that are made because they're totally unique. And that's what then lends it to the, the, the kitchen teams that they have totally unique products to then build their dishes from. So that therefore their food becomes unique as well. Um, but yeah, it's not structured in the way a normal kitchen structured because you haven't got guests arriving at five o'clock every day, you know. Well, you're going home at five o'clock. Yeah. That's the weird thing. And Dickie's come up with a name for his little unique home on the farm. Preservation station. <laughs> preservation station, I like that. Something like that. Or is it, it's more of a preservation kitchen, isn't it, really? It's kind of yeah, like... Yeah, okay. There's no trains coming through, I suppose. No, not really. <laughs> I think Dickie has probably the best job on the farm. No late night service, a complete freedom to be totally creative, but he's busy. And while he doesn't know it yet, he's about to get a whole lot busier. So, I mean, Dickie's amazing. His department really is the backbone and creates a whole DNA for everything that we do. And, you know, they work extremely hard. There's a lot, a lot going on. Um, I can say this because it'll, by the time the podcast goes out in a couple of weeks' time, we will have told him. But uh, we're actually going to open a pub later this year, which is going to be a load more work for his department. And um, yeah, I just haven't had the words to tell him yet. He'll be really excited about it. Uh, and I'll have loads of great ideas, I'm sure. But there's a lot, when you get into summertime on the farm, there's just so much work to do. And if we're opening a pub at the same time, it's going to be, uh, yeah, I think I'm gonna have to, in the next week, I'm going to have to find the words to, to tell him that. <laughs> That's all in the future, though. 2023 is going to be the busiest year the Black Swan has ever had. And there's no time to think about a pub just yet. Before we continue, I want to tell you really quickly about a couple of products which I can personally vouch for. Our series sponsor is True Foods. They make and supply fresh stocks and sauces which are top quality. I wouldn't vouch for them if they weren't. Using traditional processes and principles like slow roasting the bones for the perfect caramelization or double passing the stocks through muslin cloth, their products are made just like I would make them in my kitchen. So they're the perfect way to get one step ahead in your cooking. I wouldn't call them a cheat ingredient. I think these stocks are the ingredient that can take your cooking to a whole new level and that's something I can fully get behind. Talking to True Foods, they've never done a discount before, but listeners to this podcast can use code SEASON10 to get an introductory 10% off their first order. That's SEASONED10 for 10% off just for listening to this episode. And as well as adverts added to the podcast, I want to use this series to celebrate some of the best small food businesses who don't always get so much exposure. So this is an ad but not an advert at the same time. Consider it a shout out to my favorite unsung foodie businesses. This week, I'd like to talk about Courtyard Dairy, a great friends of mine and most incredible cheese business based in Settle in the rural Yorkshire Dales. Andy and Kathy have a wonderful family business, but what I love about them so much is that they support 
tiny little farmers who are creating the most incredible farmhouse cheeses. Nowadays, it's really difficult for small farmers to survive, but what Andy and Kathy have done have made an amazing platform to champion these brilliant farmhouse cheeses. And I think that's so special because otherwise these amazing little businesses, these tiny farms with 12 goats making an individual cheese will be lost forever. I feel like shopping with Courtyard Dairy, and you can do it online, order some delicious cheese is guilt-free shopping. You can order the cheeses that you like the look of, and you know that you're going to be supporting small-scale farmers who are doing things in the right way. Can't go wrong. Now, back to the episode. What I love about working on the farm, as well as the restaurant, is that no two days are ever the same. Whenever I come home from a few days away, the farm is completely different to when I left. But winter is taking its toll, with short days and the cold weather meaning fresh produce is in short supply. However, there is one thing we can rely on to flourish, and at the moment, it's a staple on the menu. So we're in the Jerusalem artichoke patch. In this time of year on the farm, there's so little you can actually use, but Jerusalem artichokes are the perfect winter uh, veg. I mean, I love them. They're absolutely delicious. They're so versatile, but also because they don't work at all. So you can hear, you can hear these like uh, these dry reeds, and these were like huge tall sunflowers in the middle of summer. But then once you have the first frost, these die and become these sort of brittle, um, lifeless sticks. But then all the energy that was in that plant goes down into the tuber and swells up, and just you get these beautiful Jerusalem artichokes. This crop will keep coming back year on year, and at the Black Swan, we can get through about five tons over the winter. That's a lot of digging. Straight away, you see, they're all different sort of sizes, so I would leave that one, that's too small. I'd leave that to great. That'll be next year's plant. Um, but as you dig down, amazing. I mean, they're so ugly, they're knobbly, they're freezing cold on daylight today. That doesn't need anything doing to it. So you take that away, cook it, but there's enough in there that will just grow back next year. But whether you're growing it yourself or buying it at your local greengrocer or supermarket, I think there's lots of tasty ways to use it. I love them as an ingredient. I think they're just so versatile. Um, the Jerusalem artichoke, whether you're just simply roasting it and it's all sort of gooey in the middle and crispy on the outside, it makes wonderful purees that are sort of velvety, uh, but it also has a natural sweetness. It does have a reputation for giving you flatulence, which is unfortunate but I do think the flavour trade-off is there, so I would always cook with them and live with the consequences. I think people find Jerusalem artichokes a little intimidating, and I get asked a lot about how to cook ingredients like this and how to elevate them. But there's a few basics with Jerusalem artichokes which mean you're on the right track. I think that the first and most important thing is to get them clean um, because they can have a, they're often grown in quite sandy land and you know they can be quite gritty um, but probably the best thing to do is just to peel them slice them down and sweat them off in a bit of butter and add some milk and you can make a beautiful soup the texture of Jerusalem artichoke when blended into a soup is just really special. It's almost sort of silky and smooth and velvety. I think that's a really good starting point. If you want to then elevate that further, you can 
caramelize the Drusham artichokes in the pan with the butter before you add the milk and then you get this wonderful nuttiness to it which is just fantastic. And not one to waste anything, you can use those peelings too. You can make delicious crisps by deep frying the skins and, and they make a lovely sort of nutty uh, crisp which is great with some salt and vinegar on it. My promise to you is that throughout this podcast I'll be giving you loads of tips like that which you really can try at home. I think it could sound quite challenging, uh, the sort of techniques we're talking about doing with the Jerusalem artichokes, but actually, you know, actually going out there and sourcing them, once you've done that, you've got a wonderful ingredient and because it's so delicious naturally, you don't have to apply that much technique to it. It's just simple, methodical cooking, which is, uh, which is worth the effort. But let's be honest, the Black Swan wouldn't win awards if everything was simple. And here in Old said, we like to push the boundaries with our ingredients. So. Dickie is making a fresh batch of one of our more unusual artichoke concoctions. Okay, so I think what makes the black swan really special is using really quite common, well-known ingredients, but in really innovative and different ways. So a lot of um, you know, people would assume that like a vegetable like a Jerusalem artichoke would be used only in savory dishes, but actually we... Um, transform into different in different ways and use them in quite often in like sweet courses. So we uh, peel them down, juice them, and then we reduce that liquid uh, almost to like a sort of marmite like black treacle kind of um, consistency. And then we combine that with uh, butter, bit of milk chocolate, uh, lots of cream, and a little bit of glucose, uh, and a touch of uh, homemade apple cider vinegar. And then we we reduce that down again uh, and set that into a beautiful fudge which we serve on the uh, Petit Four course at the moment and we have done for, for many, many years. Yes, artichoke fudge on a Petit Four. Honestly, it's absolutely banging. And hey, that's half the fun of eating out, right? Getting out of your comfort zone a little bit. You know, I think we like to almost challenge people's taste buds and you're transforming it into something almost completely different. It's not artichokes as you expect, it's just capturing that sweetness. And, and actually, at this time of year, we literally have nothing else coming from the farm. So to be able to use this in two different courses on the menu, one being beautifully roasted and caramelised, and then this being a really sweet juice, is just really, really important for us to be able to showcase our ethos throughout the season. Okay, so now it's all set up and we've got like what resembles fudge as you know it. We've got this beautiful sort of caramel coloured fudge. So we're just going to portion it up into lovely little pieces that we can uh, dish out for everyone to try. These little cubes of fudge are full of flavour. I love watching guest faces. When they try it, they're convinced that a sweet made from artichokes is going to be disgusting. Most of the time though, they change their mind after a bite. So it's got real richness, like almost like trickle, sort of chocolatey, slight, so almost like a little bit of a bitter edge to it as well. So I don't know if, if that was on the, if it was written on the menu as, you know, Jerusalem artichoke fudge, whether people would actually know what that was, because it's such an unusual flavor. It's something like you don't really expect to get that sort of real savoriness from, from a dish. But I think that's where like, you know, telling the story to the guests, and getting the point across about how local these ingredients are and, and how important they are to us at this time of year. 
As the sun starts to set early on these winter days, my restaurant team are hard at work preparing tonight's service. How long on the two scallops please, Jake? Head chef Callum is overseeing everything, making sure that each and every plate looks and tastes the way we've designed them to. Lo lovely cooking on this halibut, Dan. My dad is doing a last check on the cows and making sure the herd of pigs are settled for the night. And Dickie, he's clocked off, ready for another bright and early start to see what tomorrow brings. Next time, we welcome our first celebrity guest to the farm. Danny, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, mate. Welcome to the Black Swan. McFly star and celebrity MasterChef contestant, Danny Jones, comes along to give us a rather delicate helping hand to one of our pigs. Very entertaining. Hey, get out of here, boy! <laughs> I think that's the one that bit me earlier. <laughs> and we launch a brand new dish into the menu. This is incredible. Absolutely incredible. That, that yeah. sauce is like an absolute hit with it, isn't it? For more information about Seasoned, check out my website www.tommybanks.co.uk or check us out on social media. If you've enjoyed the episode, please leave us a positive rating and a review. It would mean an awful lot to me and it really helps to support us and get this podcast off the ground. Most importantly though, tell your friends, tell someone else you've enjoyed it. Maybe they'll join us on our journey too. Seasoned is a What's the Story podcast. It's hosted by me, Tommy Banks, and produced by Daryl Brown and Sophie Ellis. <laughs>